and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd suffer with blenadenitis if you inflamed me with the idea that you missed this week's show. Appealing to tomorrow's major donors. There's $50 trillion set to change hands in North America by 2050, enriching today's millennials and Generation Z. Let's talk about cultivation and fundraising strategies to reach these generations. My guest is Najid Kassam from Kila. This is part of our coverage of the 2022 Nonprofit Technology Conference hosted by N10. On Tony's Take Two, trepidation about New York City. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Fourth Dimension Technologies, IT Infra in a Box, the affordable tech solution for nonprofits. Tony.ma slash 4D. Just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. Here is Appealing to Tomorrow's Major Donors. Hello and welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio Coverage of 22 NTC 2022 Nonprofit Technology Conference hosted by N10. With me now is Najid Kassam, CEO and founder of Kila. Najid, welcome back to Nonprofit Radio. Thanks so much, Tony. And um just for the folks that are listening, because I might have a conflict, I'm also on the board of directors at N10. And so really, really proud to be part of the governance team at N10 and grateful to all of those of you who attended NTC this past, I guess, almost a month ago now. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for letting me know. Uh, we have uh, Miko Whitlock and Jason Shim. Uh, are they still, people. I, I have to see if they're still on board. We've got, we've got Beth Cantor coming up. Um that's one of I mean, those are those are my people. That's my tribe. So I'm there really you go. you've okay. got a great, great lineup coming up. Well, and you're on the you're on the board of a terrific organization. Thank you. Amy Sample Ward is our technology and social media contributor. So she's on many times a year sharing her wisdom on uh, on 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 those subjects. We're gonna talk about your seminar topic, uh, great transfer of wealth, how to reach the next generation. Absolutely. And uh, you say in your description that there's a $50 trillion transfer coming. What's, uh, what's on the horizon? Well, you know, I think a lot of the topic is just about the fact that boomers and those, the generation, the great generations, as I like to call them, are starting to, to, to find peace and move on to whatever happens in, in the next stage of our lives. And, you know, as we, as they pass our grand, my grandparents passed away, um, last couple of years and you see that generation, uh, my parents are starting to get older and thinking about the next, you know, the next chapter of their lives. And so for those of us that are Gen X, Gen Y, and I guess Gen Zs now, um, you know, a lot of money ultimately is going to transfer uh, between generations. The, the boomers and their parents post-war really generated absurd amounts, like, like, you know, unthinkable amounts of wealth and and that's all 
transferring and there's a bunch of really interesting factors that are that are going to change how giving is done what's going to happen to that the just the demographic you know just general demographics in the united states and so you know a lot of money is going to change hands and, and that's going to have a profound impact on giving because for, for a whole host of reasons which we'll talk about today yeah yeah so you're expecting that millennials are going to grow the wealth that's left to them from or spend it i don't know they, but yes well if they spend it then we're hoping they're going to be giving it away because otherwise we have nothing yes, to talk sir. about I mean, yes, if, they're, if they're all buying super yachts then we, you and i may as well end right now shut the mics off i mean for the sake of humanity i really hope that they're not just buying super yachts how about that okay right super yachts private islands Things that you and I can't possibly conceive of, Tony. Okay, I hope not. I hope it doesn't go that way. All right. Otherwise, like I said, you know, you and I are done in three minutes. Okay. Let's go on the safe assumption, on the humanitarian and um, the magnanimous assumption that uh, they're going to be giving a lot of this wealth away. And and they'll be growing it too, right? Absolutely. Okay. So you're, you're encouraging us to... Focus well. All right, before we get to the the you know what to do, how to reach these folks. Um, Absolutely. What are what are some of these factors that you alluded to? Why are you expecting? Well, why I think the, the estimates I've seen of transfer from baby boomers uh, to millennials is uh, is not fifty trillion. I've seen twenty to thirty trillion or something like that. But you're saying so in trillion. twenty in twenty fourteen. Um, um, for Boston College or some researchers at Boston College did a research and their prediction was 58 trillion would, would be transferred to the next gen. And that I think it includes Gen X and Gen Y and ultimately Gen Z. So it's not just millennials would be in the amount of 58 trillion. But when we're talking 30, 40, 50, ultimately, I think it's the same. It doesn't really matter. It's just a huge amount of money. It is. Okay. Okay. And so you'd like us to approach uh, our, our younger donors. I guess we're talking about, are we talking about anybody 60 and under? Where, where, where you know, I, I would say like, when does Gen X start? 50 and under maybe, probably 55. I don't know, whatever Gen X is. But yes, I think millennials are the, 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 most, commonly, um, the most commonly thought about populace. But right. ultimately, so, I, I think, you know, the age of the internet, the age of artificial intelligence, all of these kinds of things are, are, are ushering in new ways to engage donors. And I think that's the crux of it. Okay. Okay. Now you're using millennials and Gen X interchangeably. No, no, no. So Gen X is what? 1965 to 1980. Um, Millennials are 1980 to some say 2000, some say 96. And then Uh, Gen Gen Z is People that are too young for me to think about. Okay, we're not there yet. Um, all right, what, what's your what, what's your advice around talking to these um, millennials and uh, Gen Xers? Yeah, I think you asked a great question previously, and I'll get to this question. But let's oh, talk about why they're different because I think that's really important to note. So there's a few factors that are that are super interesting. The first one is household sizes are smaller. And you might think, why does that matter? Well, there are fewer millennials and Gen Zs than there were their parents. And so between, I think it's from 1960 to, to around today or 2018 or whenever this data was, was published, 
household size in the US has gone from 3.6 people per family to 3.1 people. Now that might be only half a person, but that's a substantial number of people. Yeah. And it, what it means is the people inheriting money are actually going to be fewer, right? In terms of their populace, but they're going to have more capacity in terms of their wealth. And so I think this data point is actually quite, um, it's interesting. It's a little bit terrifying in some ways because, you, you know, you're going to, organizations, the sector as a whole is going to have to seek, you know, a, a lot more from individual people as opposed to being able to diversify in the same way. And I think that's a, a very interesting piece of data and one that I think is going to change the dynamic, especially of major gifts. Because, you know, currently you think about the people, the high net worth individuals, the families, they care about healthcare or they care about this, or there's a lot of ors, right? I think with that next generation, there's going to be a lot of ands because there's less people inheriting larger amounts of money. And I think, excuse me, that's quite profound, don't you think, Tony? I do. I think a half a person times tens, the, the many tens of millions of exactly. households that we have in this country, that's significant. Uh, you know, we've always thought of the average family as, a, you know, a family of four. All right. Four. So you're saying exactly four. Exactly. Yeah. You're saying the average is 3.6, but look, 3.6 rounds to four. 3.1 barely, Absolutely barely is, three, is just right? barely yeah. three. So you know, whether it's 3.6 like or four, 3.1 is a big difference. Absolutely. And think about it like this. If, if somebody you know earns $250 million over their life and they built a portfolio of real estate and wealth and, and influence ultimately, and they take that and they go to one kid, okay, let's say each kid, you know, 125 million. But when one child is 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 inheriting all that money your major donor pool is ultimately getting smaller and and so now they have more power they have more influence they have actually ability to write bigger checks but organizations are going to have to do better at collaborating to generate these things because whether we'd like to admit it or not in in, in the sector tony well, that and, other, that, the other 125 million goes to the super yacht <laughs> of course sorry tony this slipped my mind i'm so sorry. there we are so we're done again again we're done one kid but and one super yacht there's your 250 all right gosh, you just you just cut generosity in half and i think we started I know. Hope all right well let's, let's reduce the super yacht you know let's say a super <laughs> yacht is 75 let's do 75 million on the super yacht all right still so leaves another us another 50 to, to another 50 to be very generous with I'm going to cut you off because I'd like to share a couple more pieces of data that are useful. No, the first gonna... one is that, is that migration has changed over the past kind of 30, 40 years. Uh, kids or kid in that 3.1 case, right? Families are actually staying more geographically close together. And that was ex especially heightened during the pandemic where 52% of people aged 18 or 29 were actually at home with their folks in 2020. Now, you look at data from, um, I think it's 2004 is when it starts, people, both seniors and so like the parents of these boomers, who many of whom have passed now, but also the kids of these boomers are staying closer together, which means, you know, they're more in, integrated into their families. And, and what that, at least the research that we read and, and I understood or interpreted was that that can actually mean that maybe people are more aligned with their parents' beliefs or they're more engaged with them, or at least they certainly know their parents' interests better. Now, the question we're going to have to figure out is, is that going to make them more likely to continue the legacies? Let's say I, I'm, I'm a, 
let's say there's a, a high net worth family, okay? And they've spent years giving to poverty alleviation. Well, these kids or kid that inherit this money, because they're closer to those parents, both geographically and you know, in many other ways, are they going to continue that legacy? Are they going to rebel against it when they give? And it's a question we don't know the answer to, but it's an interesting piece of data. Well, which also leads to, uh, you know, our our subject of appealing to these folks so that they don't, by default, abandon the the philanthropy of their of their parents. I mean, absolutely, they may do it consciously, but you don't want it to just happen because you never gave it a shot to to avoid it from happening. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. They'll develop your media strategy for you. What are the parts of that? It starts with identifying your core messages. Then defining those channels, those outlets, where those messages ought to be heard. The places where you want to be known as a thought leader. Turn two will do the legwork to approach those outlets. And as they close opportunities for you, craft your message appropriately to the specific audience you're going to be talking to. That is a media strategy. That's what Turn 2 Communications can do for you because your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Now back to appealing to tomorrow's major donors. I want to keep talking about the trends before we get to the yeah, the, uh, and I think there's one interesting outreach. one that we can't forget, and that's women outlive men um, by like, I think it's like five years on average in the US now. So it's like, that's a, that's like, you know, a meaty five, six, seven, eight, nine percent of people's lives, right? And so it's interesting because, unlike, you know, unlike, unfortunately, similar to many other things in, in our history, we've kind of focused on like older white men. That's been like, you know, kind of it's, you see it in representation in politics on boards of directors and CEO positions and in funding for investments, whatever it might be. Yeah. Call it what it is. We're talking about sexism. Sure. And look, I'm a person of color. I, I, I don't, and my wife's a person of color. Who's a woman. She has it way worse than I, right. And so the interesting thing is my wife's going to be going to outlive me almost for certain. I mean, she, for sure in my case, but, you know, <laughs> demographically as well. And so philanthropy, forget about just the transfer of wealth. The transfer of wealth is going to be intermediated by the transfer from men who are dying at, you know, whatever, 70 something to women who are probably dying five, six years later. And so philanthropy is going to be affected by the fact that decision-making historically and giving has been made by the primary breadwinners. But as we see more women taking positions in leadership, making more money. We see women inheriting money. They're going to give differently. And I don't think we exactly know how that is yet, but that's, like I said, it's like a stepping in the, in the, in the uh, transfer of wealth, so, a, a data point that's super relevant to this conversation. There is research about the way women give being different than the way men give. They, they want to be more involved. Uh, they pers- more involved in, in how the money is used. Um, it's less transactional for them. And, uh, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, um, they they like, you know, they, they, they like to have a more of a role in how it's spent. Um, and it's, 
Yeah, I don't. I think there's there's other research too that they they, yeah. they like to be not only involved in how, how what their gift is uh, is going to do, but be involved in the organization generally. So maybe oh, you know, they're giving they're giving. And we're talking about major donors. I think is mm-hmm. what the research yeah. what the research is. Um, but they'll also be they'll increase their volunteering with the organization. Oh, interesting. Which may have nothing at all to do with their giving. Uh, they, they again less transactional, more rela- much more relational when it's when it's. Uh, and I think what's interesting is like there isn't much data on that yet, right? Because of the demographic realities and the power yeah. dynamics that have been so so unfortunate, and so you there see is, like there is some. There yeah, is some. and and that's I think you're going to see more of the research and more, more ultimately more from that because it, it's valuable, you know. The sexism in fundraising is. Uh, I think longstanding and obviously short-sighted. Um, back not years just ago, in fundraising, to, right, Tony, and everything. To be honest, oh, it is. Well, we're we're yeah. talking about fundraising. Oh, absolutely, it certainly is. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting um, is there's also been, and I'm not, you know, I want to kind of move on because there's also been a quite a significant um, ageism in fundraising. Uh, you said it yourself. We spend what is it, 80% of our time on the top 20% of donors? I think that's the math that everyone teaches at fundraising school. Um, But what's interesting is that's short-sighted, ultimately. Yes, I understand it completely. I I really do. But what is interesting is, and and this is something I touched on in my lecture at N10, was the investment in youth giving has actually been minimal, to be honest, because it hasn't seen us providing as much instant return on investment, which is true. It's a long game, not a short game, right? And, but youth, the youth, especially in the context of this transfer of wealth, are going to inherit all that money. And if you haven't laid your groundwork, you can't suddenly show up at their door. And young people giving, even if they don't have wealth yet or at all, but yet for the sake of this conversation, is different. A couple of interesting trends. The first one is young people, and I say this millennials, I think is the, the research that I'm quoting, are much more influenced by their peers. So young people, I think the data point is, are 46% more likely to donate if a coworker does, and 65% more likely to volunteer if a coworker does. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating to me because it actually, it's a social activity in a weird way. You know, the power, you know, we'll talk about social media maybe in a bit, but that's interesting. The second data oh, point. That's, that's, I wanna, yeah, please. In a minute with that. So that's just that's coworkers, not even necessarily friends. I friends. assume the data is similar for friends. Friends giving up their birthdays. Uh, friends doing peer-to-peer campaigns. Well, I think, and I think I have a peer-to-peer data point that I, in my notes. Let me just see if I can pull it up. I'll see if I can find it. But let's keep going. Yeah. Okay, but coworkers. That, that's quite an affinity for coworker giving. But, and, you know, we see it. Look, I have a lot of young millennials in on my staff, and they're wonderful and amazing people. And they're definitely, like, you know, whenever something personal, giving, so that's the other point, the second point, this is actually a nice segue. Giving is much more personal to the millennial generation. And that has a couple of ramifications. For example, to segue from our previous conversation, when, you know, we have, I think we have staff from 15 countries at Kila um, on our team. Born, who were born in 15 countries. And so, you know, whether it's an issue area they care about or something happening in, in, a, in a home or, or former uh, place of theirs, 
they share the plight and also opportunities to engage, right? I think this is a beautiful part of our culture because it helps, you know, but I can, I can watch this in action. I can see I've made donations because a coworker's feels an affinity or a passion or, or a, a sense of connection to a cause. And so, you know, I, I think that is interesting because I've watched it kind of firsthand, right? Tony, I think that's super, that's, it, it kind of reinforces from a non-data perspective, kind of qualitatively exactly what this data point is showing. Interesting. But I think yeah. something, you know, you know what else, is, you know yeah, what else, uh, anecdotally, uh, yep. I'm a young baby boomer and I've never done that. I've, I've never right? given because a coworker gave. I mean, I haven't, I haven't had coworkers for something like 20 years, but back when I did, for the short time that I did, and I could stand being an employee uh, of someone else, I, I never gave for that reason. Well, and I think the social right. media thing is, is I can't find the data point and I apologize, but I think it's That's essentially right. the same thing. It's, okay. it's that folks are influenced, not in a bad way, but like folks are inspired is a better way to put it from their communities ultimately. And it's not church or synagogue or mosque or United Way as much or community centers anymore. It's what they're seeing on social media, what matters most to their friends. And what that actually is kind of segues me to is that they're giving is much more personal for millennials than it was in, I say our generation, I'm right at the cusp of being a millennial, but I consider myself at least emotionally outside of it. And so things like organizational status, tax deductibility, um, organizational legitimacy are, are much less a at the forefront of their decision-making. They, you know, the rise of GoFundMe where people are giving to people directly, the rise of, um, of, of, of not having the intermediary of an organization yeah. Um, yeah. the rise of not caring the fact that they're not going to get a tax receipt, which is going to offset a percentage of their donations. The millennials aren't necessarily looking for that break or something tangible. They want that feeling of making an impact, right? There's a huge feel. It's, it's why we see the rise of, you know, B Corps attracting more staff and the why that almost every millennial says when you're looking for a job, impact is a part of that calculus. And so, you see those, I'm going to go out and say values of a generation um, applying themselves or, 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 or showing their face in giving in a very different way from, from me and you and our parents. And I think that's very interesting. It's time for a break. Fourth Dimension Technologies. Their IT solution is IT Infra in a Box. It's the IT Buffet. It's budget-friendly, it's holistic, you pick what you need, and you leave the rest behind. The different components that are available, IT assessment, multi-factor authentication for security, other security methods, cost analysis of where you're standing, what you're spending money on, the help desk, and there's more. You choose what's right for your IT budget, for your IT situation as it exists, like they'll help you fill the gap between where you are and where you want to be. That's the IT infra in a box. Fourth Dimension Technologies, Tony.ma slash 4D, just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. Let's return to Appealing to Tomorrow's Major Donors.
let's turn to what nonprofits can do to uh, exploit this in, 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 a, in a, using exploitation as a, in a non-pejorative sense. Take advantage of these. Or see the opportunity, I think, ultimately. See the opportunity, right? like, sure. Yeah. In, in the... Uh, in the data and in the and in the trends, yeah, and, and in this you know, I think enormous uh, wealth transfer. What, what, so let's talk about advice? the really low hanging fruit, like the most boring fruit that you could possibly Fine. have. Well, I like and, we love low hanging fruit, and 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 that's like, you know, when high net worth individuals give for major donor for major giving, excuse me, as major donors, they don't see it as I Samuel L Smith is making the donation. It's me, the Smith. On behalf of my family, the Smith family, it's a family. There's so much of that family legacy idea. And so when organizations are so privileged to get those kinds of donations, don't just look at Sam, look at Sam's wife and look at Sam's kids and make those connections with the family. And that's for two reasons. One, it's the right thing to do. Super obvious. But two, it's actually laying the groundwork for for relationships in the future. Share the impact being made engage the families, the kids especially, because if you want to get another gift, if you want to you know, create opportunity from that, it's going to happen likely either when the donor dies and his or her wife does it or husband, but much more likely their kids continuing that legacy. So engage with them. Like that's not hard. It's like, you know, bring them bring them in, engage them, take them out to lunch instead of just the major donor or the couple or whatever it is. It's an easy thing to do is encouraging families to come and come around, recognizing the families, not just the person, and then offering entry points for the kids to, um, to engage with the organization as volunteers. You know, we, we talked in the, in the lecture and, and Nathania gave a great example about youth councils and, and, you know, bringing on kind of communities or boards of, youth Advis- often the kids. advisory advisory boards? kind of yeah kind youth of advisory boards, like right. engagement okay. boards i think would be the best way to put it but yeah um what did you call and them? that's what say them what did you get I, i'm just in our notes we called them like youth um hold on i'll find the exact term we used these engagement boards uh, i think they were called youth councils youth council but yeah what you would call them for the folks youth council right yeah youth council yeah, is, is what I mean, yeah, you ahead. want that you want that perspective in your in your event planning, certainly in your event planning, but in your fundraising, you know, you may, you may not be thinking of peer to peer for the well, and that's actually my next point. Peer to peer, the folks who are in their thirties and forties, you may not, you may not be thinking of peer to peer campaigns. Well, and I have a feeling a big part of there's a there's a symbiosis between that data point on giving from coworkers and peer to peer. So peer to peer kind of had a lot of sex appeal a few years ago, and then people were like, "Is it that valuable?" I'm here to say peer-to-peer is phenomenally valuable, but not necessarily because people think it is or thought it was. I think a lot of people thought, oh, it's going to spike our donations. I'm in it for the long game here. To me, peer-to-peer is an entry point to engagement with an entirely new group of donors. I think the numbers in the 80% of people who give through a peer-to-peer campaign are first-time donors to the cause. And, And if you don't steward them effectively which we can talk about later or on another show, or I'm sure you have really qualified folks talking about it. You're going to lose that donor to bring them into your giving ecosystem as an organization, but they are an entry point where somebody else is doing the lead generation for you, right? Ultimately that giving about coworkers, I give to every single peer to peer campaign that one of my staff's riding in a thing, you know, um, cycling in an event or running a race, or I don't know, whatever it might be. 
that's an entry point. That's an entry point. And it's an entry point to diversify your donor base, to access new donors, to get your giving list up. And, and we all know in the space that donor retention is a lot cheaper than donor acquisition. Every data, like there's absurd amounts of data that show that. And peer-to-peer is a great example. And, and it's how you engage a generation. And I'm going to take it a step further. Millennials like to feel agency. They want to be part of something that goes back to that feeling, that personal nature of it. When you get folks engaging with peer-to-peer, what you're doing is not just getting money. You're, you're, get, you're, you're building advocates right? Like the youth council, but much more scalable ultimately, right? You're getting perspective, you're building advocates, you're, you're finding new ways to get into communities and, and you're ultimately empowering social media to do the work for you. And why wouldn't you do that? And I think it doesn't have to be a big event or a race. It can be, you know, that we can use peer-to-peer much more creatively to, to think about the long-term opportunities. Does that make sense, Tony? I had a guest. Yes, it does. Uh, I had a guest who used the example of a, um, a local animal shelter. Uh, they hosted a dog wedding for, and, and, you know, again, an event to attract younger donors and, and it was phenomenally successful. I, I, I could see, I you said it. And two adorable. My staff, they would all go like all these, it's just that's a lot of them have dogs and, you know, you know, it is what it is. And it's, it's wonderful for them because a lot of them aren't having kids, right? Tony, look at that number kid, that 3.6 to 3.1 that someone's not having children. And so, but that's a way to encourage an entire demographic. You probably would, wouldn't get to otherwise. I think that's brilliant. It's brilliant. Her other idea was a bark mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) As a typically trying to make a joke with mazel tov. Like muzzle top, I was muzzle top, muzzle top, right? Like muzzle. it's there, it's there. Muzzle it was top. almost I to share that with her. Um, yeah, very good, very, very good, uh, <clears throat> very good, Najee. Um, yeah, as somebody who thinks that the, the only good puns are the ones that I think of, but I, I thought, <laughs> uh, I thought, uh, Bark Mitzvah was very good, but uh, yes, muzzle top, outstanding, very good, very good, Najee. All right. Tony, I told um, you, I, I've now been a dad for two years. And so my dad jokeness is just, it's, it's coming. It's rising, you know? Well, all right, you're still just approaching it because muzzle tov <laughs> is very good. Uh, when the jokes start to be about your genes, you know, then, then, <laughs> then, they're, then they're tired. Then they're tired. Uh, absolutely. absolutely so you're, just, you're just approaching, but, but you're, still in the, you're still in the humorous category and not yes, the eye rolling. No, you're not, you haven't tried you haven't transcended into the eye rolling. All right. There's two more topics I want to touch on briefly before we run out of time. Um, well, we have time. We, okay. Because there's some time, really interesting are we, are data. We, are we, wait, are these still in the category of what nonprofits can do to to attract and appeal to and or steward? You mentioned yeah. stewardship. I want to yeah, stay I think in, we'll, you know, what can yeah, our listeners be doing? Do. Talk about well, it. Well, I think there's two factors that we all – that. So I, I don't know if this is a do and bring me back onto shore if you need me to, but let's talk about family foundation and donor advised funds for a second, because engaging both of these things is actually critical to capitalizing on the opportunity of, of the transfer of wealth. So, you know, for whatever tax reasons, right, a lot of folks might build family foundations or, or engage with DAFs so that they can receive the tax benefits 
on the event of some kind of liquidation, whatever it's selling a company or having a windfall or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is two things to think about. The first one is how are we thinking about that as part of the transfer of wealth? Like wh- what can we do with that? And the second one is that's a give now benefit or, you know, benefit other communities. It's like give now from a tax perspective, give later for the organizations. And so to me, I think laying the groundwork, engaging family foundations or high net worth individuals early as that process is starting is going to be super valuable because folks could pass right, with disbursement quotas very low, at least in Canada. And I think in the States, they're relatively it low is, as well. Yeah. Yeah. 5%. Yeah, 5%. Oh, 5%. So I think Canada just went from 35 to 5% in this past budget last week, actually. And donor so, advised funds have none. None. Well, exactly. Because they're foundations, right? But yeah. Um, so, but the thing is, those are, those are like grounds for giving you know, from a generational wealth right. perspective. Because the kids right? are involved. Because ultimately the kids might be, forget about being involved, Tony, the kids might be actually driving that even when their parents pass on. So the gift has been made, but the, but the, but the beneficiary hasn't benefited yet. And so it's this liminal state that if we forget about as organizations, and I speak as a board member of six nonprofits or five or whatever the number is, we're losing an opportunity as part of this transfer of wealth. So laying the groundwork, starting to build relationships with both the foundations and the DAFs or the DAFs, depending on the structure, getting the kids involved in other ways like peer-to-peer, I think not forgetting the family foundations and the DAF components to generational transfer would be short-sighted. It's time for Tony's Take Two. I'm returning very shortly to New York City for two weeks. In fact, as you're listening to this, uh, I'll be in the city. And, you know, I lived in the city for 15 years, but I've got some trepidation about returning. Um, And I don't think that my situation is any different than yours, you know, returning to old patterns, uh, old places. It might be an office, might be returning home after having been away through the pandemic. That's my situation. I haven't been in New York City since early March 2020. And so things on my mind, do I remember how to get around on the subway? I I feel like that's like riding a bicycle. Um, I don't think I'll get on too many uptown trains when I want to go downtown. But, you know, the familiarity, the old alacrity, the smoothness, the comfort, it's not quite there. I'm going to have to check uh, check my subway map app more often than I used to, where you know, I used to just bop downstairs. Oh, yeah, it's right this way. Bop, bop, bop. I know the turn. I know which uh, entrance I want to use. I know exactly where to stand waiting for the train. I don't have that that level of comfort anymore. And COVID, of course, you know, uh, I, I did see that COVID rates are declining in the Northeast, but I mean, New York City is still a huge city, densely populated. So got some trepidation there. I'm going to have to be more scrupulous about my masking than, uh, than I am here in this little beach town in North Carolina. And then the other part is just, you know, identity. I was a New Yorker for 15 years. 
And yes, I, I moved out of New York six years ago. So it's not, I didn't move out because of the pandemic. I left several years before, but for two weeks, I don't know. Can I be a New Yorker again for two weeks? Is that, is that allowed? Am I a tourist? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't think I'm an expat New Yorker living in North Carolina. I don't feel like that. No. But am I a tourist re- returning for two weeks? Interesting. What's, what's my identity? How do I fit in? Former resident. Not, you know, that, that's somewhere uh, higher cachet than tourist. Returning resident, but just for two weeks. So interesting, you know, and I'm sure that you have got lots of these kinds of thoughts going on as you return to uh, old patterns, old places. That's Tony's take two. We've got Buku, buttloads more time for appealing to tomorrow's major donors with Najid Kassam. By the way, uh, you're on five boards. You were dismissed from one of the boards. Just I'm, I'm one. Not a, I'm not at I'm liberty done. to reveal at this time, but the, the, you'll, they'll be in touch with you. Good to know, Tony. I'll, I'll expect the letter. No, the donor advice funds and the foundations. Yeah, very good. Well, when my, what I said, when I, you know, the kids are involved now. It, um, ultimately, I mean, the kids may have already taken over, but ultimately, when their baby boomer parents have died, then the, the kids are going to be involved, especially in the family in foundation. Cases, they're legally required to, to right. make disbursements. Right. So if you haven't gotten in on the ground game now in 5, 10, 15, 20 years when there's these huge amounts of money, which they constantly have to be giving away, you're going to be behind the eight ball. And that's an unfortunate position for folks to be in. Good. Yeah. No, good advice. And that uh, is right in line with what nonprofits can be talking about, can be thinking about, and, and uh, likely uh, acting on. So yes, no, you're you're still in the you're still in the you're still in the game. I'm still in the game. I, I I wanted to end at some point with five weird facts about legacy giving that I'd found, which I think you would really enjoy. I so, probably will. Uh, let's not. It's it's not the Najid Kassam show though. Uh, it, it's it's still Tony Martinetti nonprofit radio. So uh, hold hold back with the uh, with the anarchy, and we will get we'll get to the five points. We, we still have plenty of time. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, the five. Uh, Five idiosyncrasies, maybe, of planned giving or, or legacy giving, as you call it. Yeah, right. and I think which is relevant, obviously, in the transfer of wealth conversation, of course. Sure. Right. Yeah. What about what about more advice about uh, thinking about acting on uh, younger the younger generations, millennials, Generation Z? You mentioned stewardship. So, Why don't we talk a little about? Yeah. So I was just I was just going to go there. I was going to talk about communication. There you go. Great minds. Go ahead. So so I think one of the pieces of advice that that Nathania especially gave is like the post-gift engagement, especially in peer-to-peer. And I thought that was really interesting because, and it's two kinds of post of stewardship, the stewardship of the donors who give to peer-to-peer campaigns, which is valuable. And, and we talked about as, you know, expanding the donor base. But I think what she really drummed down on is how important it is to actually engage with the fundraisers, the folks who are actually doing the peer, like, you know, who are the, 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 you know, for those of you who don't know, peer-to-peer, you have a group of fundraisers who raise money for the cause and donors make donations in support of those fundraisers and the money goes to the organizations. But the fundraisers, they're kind of like your champions, right? They're the ones who are casting a wide net, who are sharing and promoting, who are engaging their social medias. 
And I think one thing that we often forget is to thank the fundraisers. We do a good job of thanking the people with the money, fine, and maybe we don't do good enough a job, but you write a check, generally you're gonna get a thank you. But the fundraisers are actually your access to market. They're your go-to-market strategy, so to speak. And so they're the ones who, yeah, you're right. They created the campaign. They're the ones absolutely. Who up, they did all their, your work for you. Gave ultimately. up their birthday, whatever. Yes. And yeah. So, are we? Are we? Uh, are you seeing that? Are we bad at thanking the fundraisers? We are. We are. Um, it's very automated. Huh. It's thanking for signing up more than thank you for what you've done. So a lot of like the impact or or, or community reporting people often forget the fundraisers and there's, you know, we, we've seen that anecdotally, we've seen that with our product and, and I've seen that in some of the research as well. And so where, you know, Nathaniel gave this great example and I'm trying to remember it, but she said, send a personalized impact report to the things that the fundraisers care about. Cause generally when you're signing up as a fundraiser for a peer to peer campaign, you give insight into the things you care about, the reasons you're doing it. My mom, you know, my grandmother passed away from X or my, you know, my, my aunt did this or, or someone at my work struggled with that. And so you're going to get some insight into what they care about. And if you want them to run these things again, to do it, participate next year or in subsequent years to get more involved as a donor themselves or a volunteer, that follow-up is so valuable and make, and spending the time doing it for, for each of them, even if it's 10 minutes, you know, make a call put their name on an impact report. It's, it's so little in terms of cost or time, but the value, the return, and ultimately that feeling of values aligned, which we're, you know, I've tried to come through, come up to over and over again through the, um, you know, this conversation about millennials, they'll feel valued. They'll feel values aligned. And, and ultimately it's the right thing to do, but, but also it'll help you getting them to get engaged in other ways or, or again. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Very smart. Very savvy. Uh, I'm disappointed to hear that we're not being good about the fundraisers. It's, it's not. I think it's I easy do. because there's lots of them, and it's hard because we're not used to it. Right? Peer to peer is relatively new. It's not built into the muscle memory of us yeah. as fundraisers. And I think uh, that's yeah. A lot of organizations, especially mid to large ones, are actually getting peer to peer officers now. So you know, you've got your major grant donor officer or, or program manager. You've yeah, got your recurring donor. You've got your peer to peer now because. The, the ROI is, is so strong, both from a brand reach perspective and from a donation perspective, right? So. Very good. Thank you. All right. What else? You said you had, uh, I think you said you had two. Stewardship. Yeah, I think the second, stewardship the, ideas. I think the stewardship one is interesting and it actually comes to, you know, again, it's that personalization element. What, what millennials want to hear, however you're engaging them, if they're the kids of high net worth, if they're part of peer-to-peer campaigns, or if they're just giving in general as part of the transfer, they want to see much more intimately or much more directly what's happening with the money, right? What are, you know, the older generation is like, how much are you spending on administration? That's actually a lot less, they, they don't care as much. And you can see that because of how they're giving. What they care about is, what actually happened with that money? I don't care if you use 13 cents or 18 cents or 23 cents for administration. How many malaria nets was I able to get from that? Or you know, what value did my gift or my time bring to the cause that I care deeply about? And that subtle difference in stewardship is actually quite substantial in how you treat it. So you know, it's not a budget or a, or, or a financial document that you're sending as part of stewardship. It's a lot around stories, around data on impact. And, and around making them feel like they were a part of that, which I think is 
quite different from what we saw in this boomer and other generations. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think there's been less attention to that. Absolutely. Uh, it's, been, it's been growing, but the, the, the boomers are probably dying at a faster rate than they can, uh, than they can, gain, the, uh, <laughs> they can gain the benefit of, uh, I'm one of them. I'm happy to be a younger one. But, but I also um, think it goes back to the values, which we've sort of been talking about, right? That different reason for giving, right? That, it, it, the, the reason people, millennials, take certain jobs or do certain things or engage with certain you know, community activities or, or civil society it is different. And if we don't steward differently with that, yeah. we're not only missing an opportunity, we're, we're, we're kind of not meeting folks where they are. Yeah, look, if, you know, if you're ignoring this, the, the difference in the generations, you're, you're, you're doing so at your peril. You know, you're, Absolutely. you're ignoring critical differences. There's a difference between your 70-year-old donor and your 40-year-old donor. And, and I don't try to say that donor scenario. And your 25 to 30-year-old donor. Absolutely. And I don't want it to be like, we're just doing this to get more money. Like as much as that's easy to do there, you want to connect, like it's the right thing to do. Yeah, too, no, it's right? the, it, yeah. Well, yeah, including families has always been, especially in planned giving. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just, it's just smart. It's just smart business. Um, and that'll lay the groundwork. It's engagement, it's just, which, leads exactly. to, which leads to more, more greater impact, whether it's volunteering or giving or just thinking well of your cause. You know, Absolutely. you know, I don't give to the organization anymore, but they were very good to me when my mom died. Yep. All right. All right. The big five now. Here we go. I guess the giving. I will. Uh, I, I prefer the phrase planned giving. So, but planned giving. Absolutely. You're a guest, so gonna... I'll tolerate. Uh, I'll, I'll not accept, but I'll tolerate your legacy yes, giving uh, moniker. Uh, you can well, call it this kind of. And I'm going to tie each of, them, giving, if you like. each of them back to the conversation we've had today. So this isn't out of nowhere. So right. the first data point is 50% of, like, of, of planned donors <coughs> give to their organization for more than 20 years before making a planned gift. So when we talk about engaging folks, if you're 45 or 50 right now, you're part of that Gen X or you're, you know, you're an elder millennial. If the if the data point stays strong, 20 years has got to start now. You know, if you want, and that that's why this transfer of wealth is super interesting. Number two, donors aged 44 and older represent about 75% of all wills and more than 80% of the total value of all charitable bequests made. So again, 44 is a young. It's you know, it's not. We're not talking people in their 70s when people are thinking about their wills. They're thinking about them. When their kids are still in single digits often, right? Like, you know, we, my wife and I did our will when she was pregnant. We didn't have a will before that, but we, you know, we, we did our, our will, our wills. I guess there's two of them. All right, so um, that one was donors 44 and over represent 75% of all existing wills. And more than 80% of the bequests. And more than 80% of the, all right. I guess I'd like to see a finer breakdown. Like oh, that's 44 and over, you know, what's, what does 60 and over look like? And I don't have that off my fingertips, but I would bet it's even, it's the vast majority. I would yeah. bet. Yeah. I would bet. Right. But again. Right. The proportion is, the proportion is going to rise as the age. Absolutely. Goes. Okay. Absolutely. Number okay. three, 50% of donors age 50 and over with no children had charitable estate plans. But among similar donors with children, only 17% had philanthropic plans. That one was actually quite interesting to me. Yeah. 
All so right. basically, right. so yeah, your your folks with no children are better planned giving prospects than your folks absolutely. with with children. Absolutely, and there's and, and there's a difference of thirty three percent. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In terms of the number of them that have wills, right? Which right. is fascinating. Or sorry, yes. um, that's, charitable that's bequests in their wills. Excuse me. That, yes. that's, that the population is have a charitable bequest in their will. Absolutely. Thirty three percent more likely more to do obscure. it if you're if you're fifty five and over. No, fifty and over. You're thirty three percent more likely to do it if you're fifty and over and have no children than you are if you're fifty and over and had have at children. least one child. Yes. All right. Absolutely. And again, why is this relevant? Because in this transfer of wealth more and more people are inheriting money who don't plan to have kids, right? And, and that's super interesting and incredibly relevant. Um, second last one. Oh, wait, you know what? That's even, it's, it becomes more interesting even on another level because, yeah, as younger folks are less likely to have kids yep. than the current 55-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So uh, assuming human nature isn't, isn't changing, then that the the delta is going to change between absolutely between the population that doesn't have children and the population that does because the population that doesn't have children is going to grow up and you look at that first data point where most people are going to make bequests to folks that they've engaged with for 20 plus years that's again relevant because more people are not having kids so you got to engage them earlier because if you do the likelihood of you getting a bequest is is going to be, like you said, the delta is going to be higher and higher, right? Very interesting. Okay. Penultimately, planned gifts from single, never married donors are actually 13% larger than from married donors. So what's interesting is, again, how do you focus? This, this, was, this is part of the lecture we gave on like, how do you focus your time? Of course, you, if you had unlimited resources, you'd focus on everybody. But thinking about folks who haven't been married um, or are no longer married and without kids, you're going to get bigger donations, right? And, and that's super interesting, especially in the context of people not having kids. A lot of this transfer is, is, is intermediated by that. I, that's, th- those have always been your best planned gift prospects. And you're, and you're the expert, uh, right? Folks who are unmarried and no children. Um, not, to, not to exclude others from your program. Of course not. If, if, you have the, if you have the luxury of knowing who has children yep. and who never married. And a lot of that you can just find out from uh, social uh, media. I think. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, then, then those are your, those are your, your ultimately best prospects. And thank you for using the word penultimate uh, correctly. I, I appreciate that. So many, thank things, you. so many people think that penultimate is, is the, the better one it comes after the ultimate because it's penultimate. So no. she used it correctly. Thank you for Thank using you, penultimate. Uh, it's, uh, it's among my favorite words, uh, along Thank with you. can and, and purview. I like can and purview. Purview is a great word. I like Purview's to work those in. Purviews, but yeah, I like to work those in. But and to tie it all back to our, our bark mitzvah. The ultimate. This is the, the ultimate. ultimate. Uh, the bark mitzvah, ult- ultimately, pet owners are 70% more likely to give a bequest than non-pet owners. Pet owners. So free will, which is a wills website in the US, yeah. uh, it like helps folks create their wills, right. did free some will. really interesting data around the uh, charitable giving of pet owners. And folks who have pet owners are much more likely to make bequests, 70% more likely than non-pet owners. So I have no idea how to use that piece of data, but it's so obscure and so interesting that I included it as my factoid and I'm sharing with you. 
for folks who are in a in an animal-oriented nonprofit, you know, they, they know that yeah, a exactly. lot of pet owners are very exactly. concerned about the, the life of their pets after their own deaths. I, I so, guess. So they'll but often think- make they'll often make gifts for the care of their pets if their pets should survive. Oh, them. interesting. I did I think what's interesting is going back to millennials and the demographic data that we've seen as most folks, you know, a lot of people who don't choose to have children choose to get a pet. It's like a pretty common, you know, trend, I think. And so, you know, that's interesting because they're, they still have a lot of love and they've made a choice, which is so personal and they want to continue a legacy, not just for their pets, per what you said, but rather just in general. And so, they see their way to, to continue. They don't have children. So their legacy is going to live through their gifts. And I think that's, that's again, speaking to the 3.6 to 3.1 number of people in a household and, and that number are continuing to, to, to change. Najid Kassam. Thank you very much, Najid. You're very uh, welcome. Let's, let's take care of a couple things. Uh, why, don't first, uh, why don't you shout out to Nathaniel Fung since you mentioned her a few Absolutely. times. Absolutely. So Nathaniel Fung was was my co-presenter on this. Um, I got to give a lot of the nerdy theory that I shared with you all today, but Nathaniel did a phenomenal job of sharing the case studies that she's done. She's spent a, 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 a lot of years, decades, I think, working in, in, in health foundations and health giving. And she just brought incredible examples of youth councils and examples of peer-to-peer campaigns and how they stewarded them. And so it was, a, it was an absolute treat to, to speak uh, alongside her. Nathaniel's uh, director of philanthropy, where? At the BC Women's Foundation. BC, Women's British Hospital Columbia, Foundation. British Columbia, BC, British Columbia Women, Women's Hospital Foundation, where my son was born. And uh, Keela, you give a little shout for Keela. I mean, always happy to, 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 to serve uh, such an incredible uh, institution. Um, for those of you who don't know, Keela is, is, is fundraising um, intelligence and donor management tools built, you know, with, the most powerful, exciting technology, but built by fundraisers, myself being just one of many. And ultimately, our goal is to help folks, you know, have a great um, donor management experience to help increase the predictability and to help um, nonprofits grow their giving. It's a CRM. It's an intelligence tool. It's got beautiful and amazing forms. You can pick and choose if you you want CRM, you want forms, you want intelligence, but ultimately it's a, it's a technology company with, with the sector at its, at its core. And I encourage everyone to, to always take a look at Keela, K-E-E-L-A.com. Keela.com. Najid Kassam. Keela.com. Very good. Look at that. Look at that, little <laughs> that almost rhymes. Najid Kassam, Keela.com. It definitely rhymes. What almost? What yes, almost? sir. Yes, what sir. It doesn't rhyme about Kassam and Kam. That's true. All right. And he's the CEO and founder. Najid, thank you very much for sharing your ideas. Tony, always a pleasure and hope to see you. Hopefully not two years from now, maybe before that. No, thank you. Well, will you be in, uh, you think you'll be in Denver if uh, if it's actually live? Yes. Yes, yes I will. Next, I will. Uh, NTC, 23 NTC. I believe yes, I'll sir. be there too. All right. Wonderful. Thank Thanks, you, Tony. My pleasure. And thank you, listeners, for being with nonprofit radio coverage of 22 NTC. Thanks so much. Next week, it's your RFP process as our 2022 Nonprofit Technology Conference coverage continues. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it 
at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Fourth Dimension Technologies, IT Infra in a Box, the affordable tech solution for nonprofits. Tony.ma slash 4D, just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>